Some stones saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We want to welcome our YouTube audience from wherever they may be. We welcome our streaming video audience who are tuning in at www.hotm.tv from around the world. We welcome our video archive audience, our home audience, cable and dish audiences, and we welcome an absolutely fantastic, I think it's probably one of the best looking crowds I have seen in decades uh, here from all over. We just welcome them. We're going to get a shot of them right now. Look at these guys. Good looking, but not well behaved. Um, uh, also, uh, an announcement on February 17th at midnight, full power American television stations will end all analog broadcasts and begin broadcasting exclusively in digital format. This will apply to this station, TV20, as well. This transition, this transition will directly impact TV households who rely exclusively on free broadcast television in their homes. If you are using an antenna system, this is going to affect you because you're not going to have anything. It's amazing. This is a historic day, February 17th, midnight. Amazing since the history of television. There are three ways people can transition to digital. One, switch to a cable or satellite television service provider in which case analog sets will continue to function. Two, purchase a new TV set with a built-in digital tuner. Or three, purchase a DTV converter box that will convert the new digital signal into the old format for an existing analog television set. These boxes sell for $49 to $59 and are available at most consumer electronic retail stores. For more information about the DTV transition, visit www.dtvanswers.com or call 1-888-DTV-2009. Hey, I know you've all made a decision to really decide to learn the Bible this year. Of course you did, so you in all probability have decided to join us at one of three universities in the state, University of Utah, Weber State, or Utah State on Sunday to hear uh, the Word of God taught verse by verse. Go to calvarycampus.com 
for times and locations. We're committed to helping anyone and everyone understand the Word of God. This is not church, not religion. You can use it for your own church if you want to, but that's not what we are. It's merely our ministry's attempt to help equip equip every believer with a knowledge of the Word of God. Well, I met a man last week. He was very much like many men and women I meet every week. And we got to talking and I asked the question, are you LDS? And there was the typical pause and a hymn and kind of a ha and shuffle of the feet. And well, no, I was, but then, and, and, and you know, come to find out, of course he was. And he hadn't been to his LDS church in nearly a decade. I also learned he has not been to any other type of church uh, in nearly a decade. I knew uh, from talking to him, he didn't believe in the Joseph Smith gig any longer, that he couldn't see the present day church um, as being viable, but he just couldn't break away from that membership deal. And in this situation, a situation which you might be very uh, familiar with, I had two words, a suggestion for him, abandon ship. Some people leave Mormonism behind and they never look back. They never even think about it at all. If you're one of those people, you should abandon ship. So you can send a message loud and clear up to Salt Lake City uh, Church Headquarters saying, we don't want anything to do with the things you're teaching. So we want you to take our names off. And yet there are other people who have discovered Jesus, see the truth for what it is, and for one reason or another have decided to keep their name on the records of the church. My wife is one of those. Whatever it is, abandoned ship is not a must. But for those of you who kind of linger and you don't believe in it, you don't attend, uh, you know, why not make a move, take some action and make a move and take a step and say, I want out of that deal and write your letter. If you need information on how to do it, go to www.bornagainmormon.com or utlm.org for more information. Uh, get off that Titanic and jump into the lifeboat of the Lord. It's well worth it. Speaking of bornagainmormon.com, we started uh, this website about six years ago. I don't talk about it that often here on the show. Usually just refer you to the site that shows the shows. But there are places there like, for instance, under the Frequently Answered Questions page. There's a lot of information for you to check out. Go to bornagainmormon.com for more information. You'll find all of our past shows archived there, linked, and UTLM, other great links that you can go to. Okay. Last Sunday, I had a good friend, a police officer up in the Ogden area who uh, came to know the Lord and was baptized. So I rode up to uh, a church up there I'd never been to with a few friends. What a great church it was for those of you in that area. Alpine is what it's called. I think it's in Riverdale. And while we were waiting for Joel to change his wet clothes after being baptized, I had the chance to speak with a whole bunch of fans of the show. One of them, a guy named Corey, came up and he was dressed in his Sunday clothes and he asked if I would baptize him right then and there. I said, sure. I said, you know, and Corey went and he asked the pastor's permission. He said he wanted to do it in those clothes. He didn't have any others, but he just really wanted to be baptized and he wanted me to do it. Now, let me explain something that is beautiful about this. We have a young family man here and he has come out of Mormonism because he found a relationship with the Lord and he wants to get baptized. And he asked this pastor of this large established church uh, if this dude in the lobby can come in and baptize him and then speak to the people there and the pastor's response, absolutely. 
you want to experience the church that Jesus established. You want to see religion at its best, the way it was in the book of Acts, especially 2 and 3, chapters 2 and 3. You ought to have seen this. There were no interviews. There was no signed statements of faith. No ecclesiastical endorsements required. No special permissions, territorial fears exhibited by the pastoral staff. No rituals that had to be said or done. Just a man who had come to a real living relationship with the Lord and wanted to publicly commit his life to uh, Christ through baptism. And not only that, his wife decided to join him too in her Sunday best. And so I was able to baptize her too while members of the congregation stood there and the little, her, their children sat there on the front and watched it happen. It was a highlight in my life for me. I thank uh, Cody, JC, the pastors at Alpine and Riverdale, Millie, Karen, above all the Lord, to be a part of this true spiritual experience. That's how it should be. With all that, let's have a word of prayer. Uh, dear Lord, we need you here. We ask you to be with uh, our audience, whether they're here in the studio or out in the uh, television land. We pray that I'll be able to say the things you want me to say and uh, that the things that are ridiculous that come out of my mouth, that you will take them and let them die from people's brains and hearts. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our, I, I'm going to present this information uh, to you as foundational to this year's study of Mormon history from 1844 to the present. It's a little bit cumbersome uh, at the beginning, but I have to get this as, as it is foundational. Around the turn of the 19th century, a boy named Eric Hoffer was born to a working class uh, parents, German immigrants in the Bronx, New York. Shortly after his mother died around the age of eight, uh, Eric went blind. He never attended public school, but miraculously at the age of 15 regained his eyesight and experienced what he described as, quote, terrific, terrific hunger for the printed word. The first piece of literature Eric devoured uh, at that young age was Dostoevsky's uh, book, The Idiot. And Hoffer never turned back. He, when he was 18 years of age, his father passed away and left him a huge inheritance of $300. And so he moved out to the West Coast. His lifelong resume, if he had one, would include a 10-year stint doing odd jobs on L.A. Skid Row, another 10 years doing migratory uh, farm labor, a little panning for gold, and 25 years as a dock worker on the San Francisco waterfront. His favorite readings are so vast that they cannot be summarized here, but included Seneca, Churchill, Chomsky, uh, Spinoza, Stendhal, Swift, Aristotle, Bacon, Einstein, Confucius, Euripides, the Bible, Tennyson, Chekhov, and Tertullian. In 1941, at the age of 43, Hoffer took a wooden plank, laid it across two chairs on a tiny San Francisco apartment where he lived until he died, and hand wrote an ingenious aphoristic book titled The True Believer, Thoughts on the Nature of Mass Movements. Around the age of 53, The True Believer was published, earning him the unique title of the Longshoreman Philosopher. 
Between his first book and his death at the age of 85 in 1983, Hoffer published eight more supremely insightful books, including what is considered his best, The Ordeal of Change. In my humble opinion, Hoffer was not only gifted by God with the most poignant and piercing insights into the establishment, growth, and staying power of mass movements, he lived his entire life in such a way that validates these keen insights. In The True Believer, he describes three vital person types that are required to initiate, inflame, and maintain a mass movement. These types are men of words, fanatics, and men or women of action. So he says for a mass movement to get le- to start, get legs, and continue on, it has to include people who are men, of wo- men or women of words, fanatics, followed by fanatics, followed by men or women of action. Rarely, Hoffer suggests, does an individual, a single individual, portray all three of those person types. Regarding the man of words, Hoffer writes that their sole ambition is to actually liberate or free people their lives, their minds, their hearts, from chains that hold them bound. The man or woman of words, through speaking and writing, seeks to first discredit the prevailing order, second, remove the allegiances of the masses from the prevailing order, third, familiarize the masses with the ideas of change and that change is possible, and fourth, provide the slogans and doctrines of the movement at hand. Unfortunately, men and women of words uh, often take for granted that the masses who respond to their message of liberty and freedom are seeking the exact same thing that they are writing about. But Hoffer says that the masses do not really want what the man of words proposes. Instead, they want freedom from their own miserable existences from the intolerable burden of their autonomous lives, and from, as Dostoevsky talks about in the Brothers Karamazov, the fearful burden of free choice. He says, Hoffer suggests that people, when they join mass movements, communism, whatever it might be, they want to escape from the misery of their lives and find their identity in the movement uh, that is mass. Where true men of words strive and seek for personal liberty and self-realization for those who hear and read what they have to say, for freedom for the self, Hoffer points out that historically, people who embrace mass movements actually seek to be free from themselves. This is vitally important, this differentiation, to be free for yourself or to be free from yourself. Are you seeking to be, uh, are you seeking for a free self or are you seeking to be free from yourself? Many Christians would argue that we discover ourselves sinful, having irreparably separated ourselves from God and sometimes even mankind, and we fall broken, seeking redemption before our great God and hoping He will put us back together and in the process we will become free from ourselves. This is not so. That is an Eastern metaphysic that tells you to lose how you have been created and to become absorbed in this hopeful nirvana. 
It is the isms that want your individuality to be melded into this particular picture of how you should be. Henry David Thoreau wrote in Walden, uh, uh, I read this years ago, trust no enterprise that requires new clothes. The, the enterprises, the mass movements that do are trying to get you to get your identity and who you are through them instead of through how God made you. I'm not too proud in the least to admit the absolute and total need for a savior to fix my broken and sinful self. And I readily admit that in following Jesus as the ultimate man of words, I seek new life through him and a release from the burden of my former sin and failures. However, true Christianity ought to do all it can to invoke unity among great diversity and to uh, refrain from fanatical demands of similarity. Where Hoffer makes so much sense to me is his razor-sharp insights into what happens to the doctrines of the man of words once he or she has been killed or dies or is taken away. Where the true man of words seeks to liberate with renovation and revolutionary concepts, the fanatics that follow him or follow her in seek to capture people using the man of words ideologies and, and ideas only to imprison them in a system, again, of non-thought and of losing themselves. Once the fanatics have actually succeeded in capturing the freedoms of those in a movement, then men and women of action step in for the sole purpose to maintain the power and growth that has been attained. If we look closely, we can see Hoffer's model of in every mass movement that has ever developed, grown, and lasted. Remove one of the person types and the movement will die a quick and certain death. Islam, the Nazis, Seventh-day Adventists, Communists, Christians, Mormons, and evolutionists have all had their men and women of words. Muhammad, Hitler, Ellen G. White, Karl Marx, Jesus Christ, Joseph Smith, Charles Darwin. And all of them have rightly and wrongly had their words taken and used by movements fanatics to control the masses in a state that they, so they can actually achieve their desires, which is to lose themselves completely. Once the fanatics job has run its course and the movement has actually established some growth and some numbers, all radical thinking will then take a back seat to order. Fanaticism, which was once embraced, is shamed. And here is when order is delivered by the men and women of action. As a side note, please don't be offended that I've included Jesus as a man of, word, uh, as a man of words amidst these other people. I do this. He is the word and he is the man of words to follow. But I use this just as an example that Christianity has in some cases fallen prey to the same cycle that Hoffer describes. When we look at Mormonism, Hoffer's suggestions are made alive. Joseph Smith Jr., man of words extraordinaire. He wrote and wrote and wrote and he spoke and spoke and spoke into the hearts of people to give them a new lease on life, to escape from uh, everything to a new identity, to a liberation that he sought through false doctrine, I might add. Nevertheless, he was a man of words that sought for the liberty of people. He spoke on liberty in his private writings almost as much as God. Once Joseph Smith was killed in Carthage jail, in the shootout, the fanatics moved in and took control. 
What makes a fanatic unique from the man of words is their willingness to do whatever it takes, including murder, to control the masses and have their way. Lacking the ability to cognitively continue to supply followers with original thinking like the man of words has done, the fanatics take the founder's words and with great allegiance continue to seemingly carry the torch that the founder began, all the while with far different intentions. Once Brigham Young had his mitts on Mormonism, the fanatic mentality became fully operational here in the Intermountain West. We, as we stated last week, doctrine was Joseph Smith's baby all the way. But LDS culture, even to this day, was forged by the hammer on the anvil of Brigham Young. We can still hear echoes of his falling hammer upon the attitudes and insights of most elderly Utahns today. Their hard work, their order, their, even their thirst for blood atonement, even their issues regarding race and marriage, women's roles, children, how they should be raised, and true religion. It seems to me that around the death of LDS prophet David O. McKay, the era of Mormon fanaticism died. Wards and stakes stopped building their own houses of worship. Women started to be allowed to pray in church. Blacks received the priesthood and the us versus them mentality, uh, which was so ingrained here in the Utah Valley of almost every Latter-day Saint almost shifted to we're all the same, which is kind of what we get now. The shift can even be witnessed in the very architecture that has existed in Mormon history. When Joseph Smith, who was a man of words, was in charge, the architecture was transitory. It reflected a shaman-like, go-into-the-woods style, uh, and then ultimately it sort of slipped into this more wildly fanciful theme. If you look at the architecture of the Kirtland Temple, his first major edifice, it was separated into these different rooms and then different levels on the inside where they faced each other and it was all representative. If you had a lesser priesthood, you were down on the floor, all the way up to the highest priesthood guys would be up toward the top. This was part of Joseph's man of words thinking. After his death and the fanatical fists of Brigham Young came in, LDS architecture became much more functional um, and magically different from other architecture, but nevertheless controlled. Um, the Salt Lake Temple is indicative of this us versus them mentality in Mormon history. The thing is 12 feet thick. It's ornate and handcrafted. The Salt Lake uh, City Temple is a magnificent centerpiece that kind of says to everybody, try and mess with us. You're never going to get through. You're not allowed in. There's no windows in this edifice. We don't look out. You don't look in. And pretty much most of the stake centers and things like that were that way as well. Um, they really, things were handcrafted in LDS architecture between Brigham Young and David O. McKay. With the LDS uh, death of fanaticism, which included the death of a number of people who tried to leave it, change it, or even pass through it, 
the men of action begin to take charge. Now, the men of action is kind of a difficult term because it makes you think that they're very proactive. It really is just a statement that they're managers. Men of action, women of action are managers, and the, the age of management came into play with Mormonism. Statistics became very important. Corporate controls and business suits were implemented. Gone were the days of David O. McKay and his all-white suits. Gone were the days of fanatical thinking. In came the generation of big business, smooth shaved cheeks, and a dress for success mentality. Most major leaders became very political and suave in their public uh, personas within the LDS church. LDS temples, stake centers, and ward houses lost individuation and were reduced to phases of exact and approved models from Salt Lake City. Hairstyles, dress, and even speech patterns became more uniform. There's a sort of a, a LDS speak, brethren speak, that you can hear at conference where they say, we welcome you for coming. Thank you for joining us to the LDS conference at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thomas S. Monson has done, gone a long way to help enforce just by virtue of who he is this lilting speech thomas came i mean johnny came to christmas gifts were open packages were handed about the dinner was served and you can hear this this mimicked uh, type of discussion that goes on through even the ward house level mormonism today continues to exist in the hands of the men and women of actions uh, the focus, the public image, the public relation methods might have changed. Uh, and there's an effort now among the Latter-day Saints for worldwide acceptance. But there is no new revelation at all, though they call the man at the head a prophet. There is no men of words within the Mormon church at all. There's not even the entertaining and even appalling action of fanatics. They are excommunicated. If Brigham Young or Porter Rockwell were alive today, they wouldn't be allowed in the church. Just maintenance a hope for steady growth, and attempts to keep itself from hemorrhaging to death by virtue of the information that's available on the internet. I had to talk about this tonight as a means to lay a little more foundation for our history and our study. I do this with more of a long view of viewers and people who in the future will watch the shows. I also wanted to speak about it relative to our ministry. Hoffer wrote, quote, the genuine man of words himself can get along without faith in absolutes. He, can, he values the search for truth as much as truth itself. He delights in the clash of thought and the give and take of controversy. If he formulates a philosophy or a doctrine, they are more an exhibition of brilliance and an exercise in dialectics than a program of action and the tenets of a faith. In the preface of our book, uh, I Was a Born Again Mormon, I purposely chose to include a quote by Walt Whitman to help people, especially my Christian brothers and sisters who are our critics, to know the intents and purposes of our ministry. Walt Whitman said, the words of my book are nothing, uh, the drift of it, everything. And people want dogmatism. They want black and white because then they don't have to think and be responsible and self-reflect, which can be very painful at times. We want to be told exactly what to do, what, what is right, what is wrong, uh, and this is evident by the growth of dogmatic faiths. Most people are on a constant search to lose themselves in a mass appeal movement, to belong, to identify with something bigger and better than themselves. It's our hope, it's our ministerial drive to help anyone seeking to see that the only place to abandon oneself, 
The only place is in Jesus Christ. It is not in a religion, a religious affiliation. It's not what your Christian brothers and sisters insist on putting upon you culturally. It is not this television show. It's not some televangelist and their ability to sway you. It is the person of Christ. Come unto me and I will give you rest. And within the Christian edict, built in, inculcated into the word of God, comes this idea that God created you unique and beautiful and wise and you are in sin. And when you, he comes into your life, he takes over as you've been created. And he uses you in the way that you are with your uniquenesses. Not that you start dressing and talking and being like everybody else, but that you be yourself and you let God operate and work through you. This is the whole liberty. This is the freedom of being in Christ. It has nothing to do with the things people say you must be and do. We can see it manifested in its totality within this state, within Mormonism. It's our hope that you will understand these premises. We're going to go to a break. When we come back, we're going to open the telephone lines and take your calls. See you in a minute. Are we back? Yes. Are we back? Yes. Are we back? Yes. Oh, okay, okay, all right, all right. Anyway, let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. We hope that you are a first-time caller. Do not call us back if you, unless you're LDS and you have something more to say. We hope that you are LDS. We want the LDS callers to get through. And uh, we hope that you have a, an actual comment or a question to make. And we don't care about what it is, throw down on us, but just have it prepared. Finally, turn your TV sets down and we'll tell you you're on the air and just go right into it so we can get as many callers in as we can. It looks like we've got callers already lined up. I was gonna read some emails, but let's go to Drew in Dallas, Texas. Drew, first time caller, you're on the air. Hey, Sean, what's up, man? How you doing, dude? Doing well, thanks. Hey, um, my question is, being in Dallas, okay, my girlfriend has a longtime friend that is LDS, and she lives there in Utah and surrounded by um, all Mormons, and we were wondering what is the best way you think is it is as long distance to witness to her. Hey, hey Drew, you know what? I, got, I think I got an email from you asking me that, didn't I? I did. You did. You did. Awesome. You know what? <clears throat> You're... It's almost um, goes unsaid that you're going to probably insult her one way or another. So mm -hmm. instead of going the Mormon route and talking about uh, Mormonism, maybe send her a very innocuous book 
that you really enjoy, something like uh, that's very simple to read, like a uh, More Than a Carpenter. And just say, you know, this book has always meant something to us. We would love to have you read it and see what you think about it. And then, then you're kind of planting seeds with her that are not confrontational whatsoever and uh, might be of benefit in that way. How about sending your book that you wrote? Uh, my book really is uh, very, uh, it is not antagonistic like I am on the show at all. Right. But, uh, and I'll be glad to send that book to her. I'll be glad to hand deliver it. She's in the state. The problem is, uh, with my book, because of the show, many people will tell her if they see her reading it, that's, that's a bad book. That guy's a bad guy. And so it, with More Than a Carpenter, it's a Christian book that has nothing to do with Mormonism. It might be better. But if you want a book from me, by all means, stay on the line and we'll send it out. Cool. Okay, thanks. Hey, Drew, thanks for watching. I will. I'll keep watching. Thanks, man. Good work. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. We're going to Bob in Salt Lake City, first-time caller. We're having a problem with audio. I can't hear. Bob, you're on Heart of the Matter. Well, hi. Well, hi, Bob. Um, I am live. I'm, they told me to turn the TV down, so yes. I'm, I'm not quite sure if we're in sync. Yeah, you want to turn it down or else you're going to get messed up. Oh, okay. All right. Well, my, my question was, yes, if, if uh, a Mormon would call, if you've got a, a, a tie-dyed in the blue Mormon on the phone. But I wasn't always a Mormon. Uh, I had some real struggles in my life. Probably everybody else did too. But I went to where in high school and junior high, I wound up getting involved with the wrong crowds, and I became involved with drugs and alcohol. And I went down a road that uh, went to just incredibly dark places. Yeah. And, and, and I reached a point where people like me who... Uh, become addicted, you, you know, you're, you're going to go to prison or you're going to die, okay? Uh-huh. And so I remember being curled up in a little ball in a bed in detox and crying for help, just asking, please help me. And my first problem was is I was scared to death of God. I thought uh, he was an angry guy with a beard with a lightning bolt with uh, Technicolor movies of everything I've done wrong in hotel rooms. I was scared to death of it. Uh-huh. So it's hard, hard to ask him for help, but this, this is the way I, I was taught, and just tell me what you think. I, uh, my favorite picture of the Savior is a picture of him knocking on a door, and I remember when I'd been sober about 30 days and everything was going good, I, I snuck out of my family's house, I was running across the front lawn, and my mom came running out and said, Bob, you're doing so good, where are you? And while I was lying to her, I just felt this really uncomfortable feeling in my heart that, that what you're doing is wrong. Just, just a little tug. And I believe that was the Savior knocking on my door. Okay. And I, and I was on my way to, to go buy drugs, and I couldn't get there fast enough. And on the way there, I just felt that little feeling again that what you're about to, it's just so evil. It's wrong. I, that was the Savior knocking on my door. Okay. And I'm it's a great story, Bob, but we've got to get to the... I'm, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. But, but anyway, I finally got to a point where I started just listening to that little place in my heart. Okay. Because anything that was evil, I, I'd be on my... No matter how beautifully packaged it was, I'd be on my way to do it. And I, I would just get this uncomfortable feeling that, oh. it, that it wasn't right. Okay. Now, this comes to what you guys are teaching and why I, I have a hard time with it. Uh-huh. Uh, now, if I'm wrong, correct me, but it's, 
you believe that if you do not confess the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter who you are, when you were lived, uh, none of that matters. If you don't do it, you go to an everlasting burning hell forever. Is that right? Uh, that's not true. That I don't. Uh, you, we have a show on that. The Bible teaches all kinds of ways in which people can understand God. Okay. We, uh, the 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 word is written on our hearts. We know that there's a cosmological response that we are given. That we can. That the aborigine who doesn't even know the name Jesus can look up to the scar to the stars and manifest a faith. Uh, I don't. I t categorically reject the idea that uh, God is uh, in the business of rejecting people because they never had a chance to confess his name with their mouth. Okay. However, okay. if you have the opportunity, if you've been presented with the opportunity to choose Jesus and you reject him, that's another story. But God has built into us that we had seven different ways, it's on one of our shows that you go through, and they manifest him to you. And, and, uh, and so the word included. So I hope that answers your question. Okay. Well, it gives me a little enlightenment. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, let me ask you. Uh, okay. So now you're a Mormon? Yes, I am. Uh huh. And how did, quickly, how did you get to that point? Uh, well, I followed that little tug in my heart. It, uh, in wisdom and in order, uh, I remember I got my first answer where I heard his voice, where I knew I did in, in detox. I, uh, I lied to a guy. Well, I don't want those specific. Just, just. Well, this is. I'm just telling you how I became one. As I was walking away, I just felt a little tug in my heart. It was wrong, and I decided that that wasn't right. I'd be on my way to maybe steal something. I feel that. Well, what did that? What does that have to do with Mormonism, though? Bob? Well, it led me to their church. Oh, so the Lord, He told you, "Don't do this. It's wrong." It tugged on your heart. Don't do this. And that all those actions of the Lord talking to you led you ultimately to there join. There was nothing that they ever taught me that didn't feel right and fit and line up. So the feelings, the feelings, you were led to not do bad things. I was led to not swear, not lie, not drink, not do drugs, and to be kind and loving to other people. Okay. And if I was ever on my way to do something that wasn't right, I'd get this really uncomfortable feeling. And okay. Well. The book of, and, I, and I put my trust in that spirit, and I followed it into a Mormon church. Okay, all right. The, the Gospel of John 1.9 talks about all men been given that spirit of Christ. And uh, so you were listening to that spirit of Christ, and it felt good. Right. But the question is, now you have joined something that's, that actually teaches opposite of what God's Word teaches. Well, what I followed... The 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's the exact same thing. I was going to mention that. Well, 12 Steps that, is the know, same thing as more. Step what? 12 is you have a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. Uh -huh. And I took the steps, and for me it was talking to my bishop and being baptized and getting a gift of the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands, and uh -huh. I had, had that Step 12, just that wonderful, powerful, sweet, warm feeling that filled my soul up with a peace I've, I've never known. And, and it doesn't matter, now that you've had those feelings, it doesn't matter what the manual says. Uh, well, if it's, uh, I'm free to choose whatever I want. If I'm reading something and there's parts or pieces in it that just don't feel right, it doesn't fit, there's just there's something missing. Okay. I may know with a perfect knowledge that it's not 
true. Okay, so when you read the Bible, there, it could be, I'm not saying it is, but it could be now that you are LDS and you have this gift of the Holy Ghost, it could be that you pick it up and read it, and that's, that same feeling, well, I, when you get to a passage, might say, no good, this is not true? No, that little tug actually wouldn't leave me alone until I read the Bible from beginning to end, and it's a, it's a beautiful book. It is a beautiful book, Bob. Let me ask you something. Did you find any contradiction in your new spiritual enlightenment reading the Bible relative to your Mormon experience? Well, with, with both their books... You, you no, know, I'm just talking I, about the I'm Bible. Not, I'm not a scriptorian by any stretch of the imagination. I would read, read things where all of a sudden everybody's killing everybody and chopping everybody into bits, and I go, man... That's, that's the Book of Mormon you were reading? That's the, the Bible and the Book of Mormon. Yeah. And, I, and I go, boy, that doesn't feel too good, but I also know how little... I know. Yeah. I, I set it aside and just kept going forward until there was a day where it, it did make sense. So one final question. We've gone on a long time. Bob, how are you saved? How was I saved? No, how are you saved? How was I? Well, it's, well, it's like step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening after all I could do. There's no way I could save myself. There's well, it's no after way, all you could do, right? There's no way a seed, if you plant it in the ground, you've got to do your part. You've got to plant it, you've got to water it. But even after all you do, you still can't make it come to life. And That's how you interpret that second I Nephi did, passage. I still couldn't feel the spirit of my Father in heaven and be forgiven. But after I did it his way, by following his law, and you know, this is just me, I just bear my testimony. Yeah, yeah, I you're really, it's really where I felt a very slick. loving power above my own. Bob! And fill me with peace. Bob, are you able to keep his law? No, I can, no, no way. I'm, I'm good for five feet before I got to repent again. Okay, so how do you keep the Holy Spirit with you if you have to qualify for it as a Latter-day Saint? Well, what, it's the atonement makes up for what I can't do. I see. As so you're gonna life. you're gonna work on the treadmill and do everything you possibly can, and then the atonement's gonna make up that difference. Well, let me ask you the flip side of that. Can you do whatever you want? And you're saved. Uh, if I'm saved, I wouldn't right. do whatever I want. I mean, don't you got to be trying to be a good person? Uh, if I'm saved, I wouldn't do whatever I want, Bob. There's the there's the important. Well, well what happens if you make a mistake after you're saved? What do you do? <laughs> I'm covered by the blood, past, present, and future, 2,000 years ago. Sin was paid for 2,000 years ago. What if you make a mistake after you're saved? What, what are you talking about? I make mistakes every day. Okay, but that doesn't matter. It's covered? Yes. It's covered no matter what. You can yes. And you're covered. Yes. That sure doesn't feel right to me. Well, those feelings are if really interesting with you, I Bob. I mean, these feelings are really something with you. So what you like to do then is you like to pay for your sin. I'm not. I can't do anything without a father in heaven. What, without a father in heaven? A mixture of lies and truth spun together, where you're leading a lot of people down a road that goes nowhere. Now you're starting to come out with your real self, Bob. Uh, I'm just trying to answer some very harsh, in my face questions yeah. that are coming well, out of you. Hey, well, Bob, this here's is, the this thing. Is what you send out, you're getting it back. Hey, Bob, you're getting even better now. Uh, yeah. Oh, what happened to the what happened to the struggling man I'm in the prison? I'll belittle you and make fun of you. I wish you well. Uh huh. But in my opinion, your opinion. Going, let's hear it. You're going down a strange road that goes nowhere good, and anybody going down there is going to feel a real uncomfortable feeling. That's feel and feel and feel and feel. Them somewhere very strange. Yeah. So, Heaven. Anyway, you have a good day. 
Okay, Bob. Hey, that was a nice attempt, man. I had a question, okay? Okay, we'll see ya. Goodbye. You're out of answers, not questions. All right, bye-bye. Okay, let's go to Cecilia on line three. Cecilia, you're on Heart of the Matter. Cecilia? Okay, um, if, I, if I turn, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. You're on the air. Okay. You got to turn your TV what down. What I wanted to, to ask you is why aren't there... You got to turn your TV down, Cecilia. She's hearing herself talk. Okay. Why aren't there any examples of born-again Christians who behave in a Christian manner? There's not? That's, ama that's an amazing statement. That's going on the highlight reel, Cecilia. Uh, there's nobody you've ever seen who's a Christian who behaves in, a, in what you would call a seemingly matter? Turn your TV down, Cecilia. In a Christian. Turn your TV down, Cecilia. Okay, turn your TV down so we can talk. I got to say that through the TV for the listening audience. So you're, okay, okay, now I can hear. Boom. Okay, Cecilia. Yes. What are you talking about? Okay, let me tell you about no, my. I don't want a bunch of stories. Just kind of give me that what you mean in a nutshell. Conceptualize it down to a statement. Okay, I have never met a born-again Christian person who was not, uh, what's a good way to put it, who was not just kind of um, creepy and mean. <laughs> well, how far away do you live from Salt Lake, Cecilia? Pardon? How far away do you live from Salt Lake? I live in Salt Lake. Come down to the station right now. I mean, literally, get in your car and come down right now, and you can see 60 people sitting here, and you got to meet them because you're only going to find a couple of them creepy. Pardon? I, I, Cecilia, the, I have never met more down-to-earth, loving people who are willing to forgive than born-again Christians. Where are you hanging out? Pardon? Where are you meeting these Christians that are so mean and scary? In my family. <laughs> are you LDS? No, 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 no. So, Although uh, I, I live in an LDS uh, apartment house with a church practically in it. Wow. But I'm not LDS, no. In fact, the LDS people here hate me too. The Christians hate me. The LDS people hate me. They want me to move. They, say, they think I'm a horrible person because of the stories my wonderful Christian daughter has spread about me here, even uh, though she brought me here from Oregon. Cecilia? She's going to take care of me. Cecilia? And the way she is taking care of me is to spread hideous stories about me. Cecilia. And have people spying on me Cecilia. so that they can spread the stories further. You're breaking my, my heart. And my doctor. Cecilia. Yes. I want to liken your experience to something, and I hope my. Uh, I'm just going to use Hispanics, and I, I'm just using this as an example. Okay. What you've had is probably an experience where it would be similar to somebody who has never known a Hispanic and the first one they meet, they get in a fist fight with them. And, then, and the second one they meet, 
the, the person uh, tells them they look uh, badly dressed and fat, and the third Hispanic they meet, they, they are very rude. And so that person walks away and says, Hispanics are rude, mean people. But Hispanics are actually some of the most loving, beautiful people God has created. But their subjective, limited experience with them has jaded their whole view. I think that the Christians you've experienced uh, have, have, may have been creepy and mean. But it doesn't mean that they all are. It's a hasty generalization. And I want you to know that I'm not mean. So uh, I, I try not to be at least. So I think that you need to meet some. You live in Salt Lake. There are great Christian churches. Go step in one of those and see if you can meet some people who, who aren't going to give you that impression. I'd be afraid to after what my daughter's done to me. You are just not letting that one go, are you? No, I'm living it. I'm, I'm scared to death here. Well, I, you know... And I need... Uh, people ask me, why don't you move? Because I need to get out of here. This Salt Lake City is a hick town. And the Christian manager of this place... Cecilia? The Christian manager of this place would spread this gossip. Cecilia? Which I don't even know what it is. To, to wherever I move to in this village, in this godforsaken village... Cecilia? Hey, I need to save my money so I can get out of here and get back to the coast. Oh, there's the same place. Uh, listen, um, Cecilia, I love you. Thanks for the call. Maybe sometime we can meet up. You can come up to our Bible study and we can talk about the issues and, and just uh, maybe give you a new perspective. God bless you, Cecilia. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to Dean in Salt Lake City. First time caller. Dean, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, you were saying uh, when you were preaching, you said that Joseph Smith fired both pistols before he was murdered. No, I don't. I don't think I did. I thought you said that he he. he I don't know that. So maybe he did. Uh, maybe he did. I don't think I said both. I just think I said he fired and shot and killed oh, two so people. Oh, he did pull pistols then. Oh yeah. Really? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that was not a martyrdom. That was a shootout at the OK Corral, and he went out firing. He shot four or three and killed two. What, what kind of a pistol did he have? Do you know, or was it like a five-shot? Or Man, you were asking the wrong guy. Uh, they have the guns, actually, like in one of the Utah Mormon history societies. They have them actually behind glass shown. Uh, and if you go to UTLM, you can actually read about it. It'll tell you the kind of gun and everything else. But I, I don't know what kind of gun it was. Because I know in your program you had said that you, you know, you taught seminary or something. And, and you're, so I thought you'd be well-versed in it. No, in I'm, I'm lacking in knowing if it was a Smith & Wesson or a <laughs> Remington or a gun and ball powder. Sorry. So, the, the problem is that the Mormon church doesn't give you that information. Yeah. So when I taught seminary, I never nearly knew he shot back. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, do you think that was justified, uh, putting all the religion stuff aside? Do you, think, do you think that he had a right to defend himself? Mm. That's a great question. I absolutely think that uh, in that day and age and in that situation, absolutely if there was a man and he was in a jail and he was coming up and being mobbed by people with guns and his brother and they had snuck some guns in, and he was gonna try to defend himself, absolutely. The problem is, is that he is heralded as a religious yeah, murder. Yeah, yeah, but I-, I No, no, I just... no, I gotta finish this point. 
And as a religious martyr, all of them in the history of Christianity, they say, Lord Jesus, and they look to the heaven and they die willingly for his sake. So if you're talking about a man in a, in a frontier system, shooting it out with others, whatever. But if you're talking about someone who they're holding up as the prophet of God and somebody who they're putting on the equal level with Moses and David and Isaiah, and then he's shooting and killing people because he doesn't want to be hurt, we have a different story. Now, I, I kind of wonder, if you'd have been at, there at that time, would you have taken a neutral stance? Uh, or would you have taken a stance like Boggs? Or would you have, just, uh, would you have helped him? Well... If you were on the other side of the door, I may have taken the same... No, I'm kidding. Uh, I, uh, I would probably, in my flesh, have taken the same stance and fired back. Yeah. Because I'm a, I'm a naturally violent person. Yeah. And it was only God who saved me from that uh, uh, predilection of mine to retaliate when uh, attacked. Had I been in the Spirit and following the Word of God as I should as a Christian believer... I would have sat down on the floor and said, fire away, I'm dying for Christ. Yeah, but that's, that's pretty hard to do. No, it's not. Millions have done it in the name of Christ. Yeah. And when right. you have the Spirit of God living within yeah, you, it really, right. really seems like it's something that you would do. Yeah. I mean, Jesus himself said, turn the other cheek, right? Yeah. And I think it was a six-shooter. Or am What's I that? being made a fool of right now? What? It was a pepper box oh. gun, Dean. Pepper box. Was it a five-shot or six-shot? I don't know, Dean, but I have a feeling you can get access to that information. <laughs> well, uh, you got quite an interesting program. I uh, I know where you're coming from, but I'm not 100% with what, you, what you're saying. That's okay. You don't want to be 100% with me at all. But you do want to go to the Word, and you do want to go to the Lord. Word and the Lord. Go to them, figure it out, and I promise you, you will have light like no other. Yeah. Thanks, Dean. You bet. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Joel in Ogden, first-time caller. Joel, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hey, Joel, what's happening? Nada. Nada. Hey, I just wanted to call you up and say thanks for coming up this Sunday. Oh, this Joel, Joel P? This is Joel P. All right, man. Joel P came out of Mormonism, a very strong LDS family. Any uh, words of wisdom to the listening audience, Joel? Yeah, I just wanted to call and kind of uh, share a little bit of what I went through as I went along that. I thought about it and... Uh, as I've been listening to your show for a, over a year probably now, and I've listened to every past show, and I can't stop learning about it all. And you played a big part in my finding the truth along with uh, Brandon and Millie. And uh, also, the biggest part that you played, though, was the finding that I needed to be reborn and how to go about it and, every, and that whole experience, uh, reading your book, which was, wonderful um and then actually having that moment of rebirth and for me it, unlike you i guess for me it was almost instant i woke up the next day and i just was filled with the desire and love for god i wanted to i could not put the bible down i could not stop thinking about him praising him and and on and on and uh sunday was a such a great experience and i put off um, the whole born-again thing, thinking that I needed to fix myself before I could do it all. Mm. You know, I, thinking that I needed to repent and I needed to do this and do that before I could come to Jesus and uh, ask Him to accept me. And I think that's a lot of uh, what Mormonism 
teaches, or, or the that's what I got out of the teachings of Mormonism. You know, when you do something, you got to go repent. You got to go talk to your bishop, and you got to have him go before the Lord for you and help you make it right with the Lord and everything. And uh, when I went down to Burning, Burning Heart, I, uh, I don't know who said it, but somebody was saying that, you know, we just can't fix ourselves. We got to give ourselves to God and let Him fix us. And I kind of clicked with me right there, and that's when it happened. I, you know, that's awesome, Joel. Couldn't fix myself, so. No, we can't. And, uh, uh, thank, thanks a lot to you and all your staff that do this. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks for uh, letting me uh, uh, know you and for the baptism and what you're doing in your life. I can't wait to see what the Lord does with you, my friend. Yeah, all right. Love you, Sean. Love you, too. God bless. Bye-bye. You. you know, Latter-day Saints, uh, I know that I, some of this is entertainment, and I'm kind of smug and stuff, but bottom line, just like Joel's call, it always brings me back down to humility in, in Christ. And don't listen uh, necessarily to things I say. If you don't like me, that's fine. But just go to the Lord and say, this guy is saying stuff. I want to know if I have been spiritually reborn. I want you to show me. I want you to take me and give me a new heart. Create in me a new creature. Help me to have a changed heart, a, a, a heart of flesh and not a stone, and, and all the things that Scripture talks about, and He will do it. Go directly to Him and say, Lord, I want to be born again. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I believe in you. Help me be born again and show me, open my eyes and ears to know that I have. We're going to Billy in Salt Lake City, line three. Billy, you're on Heart of the Matter. How's it going, man? Good, Billy. How you doing? I'm good. You got a full minute. I have a question. Yeah, you got to take. You got to turn down your TV, Billy. All right, I turned it down. All right, you're on the air. All right. Uh, the question I have for you is: What's the difference between the prophets of Mormonism and the prophets of Islam? None. None. Exactly the same. For real? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Driven what by the same thing. Islam, What's that? I said, what do you know about Islam, though? Uh, I know enough that I had the Quran and I read quite a bit of it. And I realized some, there's some good in, in, uh, in uh, Islam. But as far uh -huh. as the prophets go, they're all the same. Really? Yeah. Does that help, Billy? Nah, that's not enough. I need to know more. I thought you knew more. You can't, you're saying you're reading about it. Uh, no, I've written about Mormonism. I'm not an expert in Islam. <laughs> Billy, you having a stroke over there yeah. or what? You there? Yeah, I'm here. All right, man. We have 30 seconds. Listen, uh, dialogue with me through email if you want to talk about Islam and Mormonism. I'm not going to open up that can of worms if my life depended on it. Uh, one but, more thing I got to say. One more thing I got to say. You got to say it quick. You got 10 you seconds. You more lines, man. It's a bother trying to get a hold of your ass, all right? It's a bother trying to get a hold of my body? What? We're out of time, my friend. Thank you so much. Listen, go to the Lord. Seek Him. Ask Him to open your eyes and ears. Give you a new heart. Test Him. Try Him. Ask Him. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.
gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my 